0: Today. would you mind if we begin and pray and just ask God to, to bless as we meet today, Lord? We come to your house because we want to meet with you and God, these people have made your house a priority today they 've got out of bed, got dressed, and and drove down here today, Lord, to hear from heaven, and I pray God that as we turn our hearts and minds towards the Word of God that you would open us uh, open our hearts and minds that you would give me clarity of thought and liberty to preach, that you would help me to be able to think clearly even in the midst of uh, weariness. And Lord, I pray that today as your people, all those that are gathered here, Lord, the, 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 the weight of trying to meet the needs of people here is heavy on my heart. Lord, I know there's people here that are burdened with financial struggles. There's people here, Lord, that are challenged and, and uh, have uh, relationship burdens and struggles in their life lord that they need you to intercede for in a mighty and a great way lord i know there's people here that are grieving that are just suffering and dealing with the loss of a dear loved one and and lord each and every person here their needs are different but god i pray as we turn our hearts towards heaven that you would lead through the service that you would speak to our hearts, you would draw us into your presence and do that which only you can do, and God will be sure and give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. But well, we have been studying the last couple of weeks that that uh, biblical goal of of the one another's that are found in the scripture, that idea of the, the admonition or the encouragement to how we're supposed to act and participate or to treat one another. It's presented in the Word of God many different ways, and I've divided them up into 25 different admonitions. And I didn't want to spend 25 weeks On this, at this point. I didn't have liberty to do that, so I tried to condense them. And the first week we dealt with the ministry of love and and that we're supposed to love one another. And that's foundational to all of the rest of them, that if we love one another, then we'll be able to fulfill and follow through with the rest of them. Then last week we got into those and I dealt with the first eight. We admonish one another, we bear one another's burdens, we be kind to one another, we comfort one another, we consider one another, we care for one another, we fest your faults one to another and we have compassion one for another now last week the the, the junior church downstairs they never know exactly what time I'm going to be done because I don't know what time I'm going to be done and uh, they try and monitor the service and see where we're at so they know how long they have to go and uh, he uh, texts somebody in the sound booth uh, from the church downstairs they text upstairs and says okay are we getting close to be done and uh, he said well Uh, he is on point number three of eight. Uh, So (laughs) we were not, I don't think we're close. And they're like, okay, we got lots more time. Uh, And so they know whether they need to have an extra game or they need to have an extra story time or an object lesson. And they're prepared for that, kind of a little bit of leeway one way or the other downstairs. But we're going to try and be done at a decent time, although we are going to get right into it, dealing with another eight. I hope you're keeping notes. Again, if you would like, uh, there is... A small little study booklet in the bookstore. Uh, they cost us three bucks. We'll sell them to you for three bucks. They're just uh, a matter of uh, just to try and help you. But it's a uh, 31 lessons, I think, on uh, the one another's and gives you a little bit of background on some of these thoughts. And that's available to you if you would like to take that home and further your study on these things. But write down these. Write down the references and keep them. You'll have a nice list when we're done here. But uh, this this morning we want to get into exhort one another. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, it tells us to exhort one another. Now we're going to, we got to move right along so that we're not here too long. We have eight points to get through, so I won't be spending too long on each of them. But we see here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, he says, But exhort one another daily, well it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Another passage of scripture that you can write down with this exhort one another is Hebrews 10, 25. In Hebrews 10, 25, he says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I'm going to try and give you some insight into what these words are and what they mean. Obviously, this is something that we might not use as often uh, today. The idea of exhorting one another is to encourage or motivate To good works, to encourage or motivate to good works. Exhorting is the action of strongly urging or making a persuasive appeal to motivate a fellow believer to do God's will. The action of strongly urging, uh, the idea of motivating, the idea of encouraging uh, somebody to do God's will, but it's a little bit more. Uh, than just saying, hey, uh, come on, uh, let's go. It's a little bit more than just saying, boy, wouldn't wouldn't you think it'd be a good idea if you came to church today? It, it's a little stronger than that, that idea of exhorting. I think about back when uh, I was working a bus route, and uh, you would go into the home, and you knew what kids were this way, and what homes were this way, and you, you go to the home on Sunday morning at about 7.30, uh, eight, 8 o'clock in the morning, and there's no answer. Everybody in the house is asleep. So you go around to the kid's bedroom, and you knock on the window. And after a little bit, the kid wakes up and pulls the curtain back. Oh, yep, it's Sunday. You coming to church? You ready to go to church? And they'll come around, and they'll open the door, mom and dad still hung over from the night before passed out on a couch passed out in a room whatever they know we're there they know their kids are going to church and we we say hey kids come on you got to get dressed you got to get ready to go I don't know if I want to go today. No, 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 come on. You got to go. We got to get dressed. You got to be in church today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go over to apartment 37, and I'm going to pick up Isaac, and then I'm going to go over to apartment 48, and, I, and I'm going to get your friend uh, Sarah, and we're going we're gonna to bring them back, and then you got to be ready to go. They're going to be looking for you. Are you, are you going to be ready? And they're, and they're still kind of like, you know, I don't know. And you, you exhorting. It's more than just saying, hey, let's go to church. It's saying, come along. The idea is coming alongside them. The idea is is... is Helping gird them, bring them up and say, yeah, come on, let's do this. this church is going to be good for you. Come on, let's go. And, and exhorting them and encouraging them. We would go get the other kids and then come back to his house, knock on the door, and they would be mostly ready for church. You might have to wait a couple of minutes. They get ready. And then you guys go out and get on the bus and head to church. Exhorting, motivating, persuading fellow believers to do what God wants them to do. We see a frequency mentioned here. He says in Hebrews 13, 3.13, he says, but exhorting one another, what's that word? next word there? Daily. Exhorting one another daily. There is the idea here that there's a frequency mentioned that it's not just on Sundays. We're to be encouraging one another. We're to be exhorting one another. We're to be challenging each other by strong motivation to do what God wants. And it's not just one day a week. It's not just on Sundays. We are to be considering each other. There's also a reason given here. He says, lest we become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you know Satan is subtle? How many of you know Satan is a worthy adversary? The Bible says he's a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. devour. The Bible says that Satan hath desire, uh, Christ talking to Peter, told him, Satan hath desire to sift you as wheat. He is the enemy and he wants to destroy your life. And he is subtle. And you know, sometimes Satan is able to get in and and cause some trouble in our lives. And what he's saying here, he says, hey, uh, lest somebody be destroyed through the deceitfulness of sin, the subtlety of Satan, we need to be encouraging one another exhorting one another to do what is right so that their lives are not destroyed. What a challenge it is when we see believers that seem to go from one crisis to another. When they're too weak to stand on their own and can't find the strength to make decisions that line up with the book. They need a brother or sister to come along and exhort them to help them out of their current state. We could come alongside them and motivate them to good works. Have you ever heard the saying, there is strength in numbers? That's what this is. It's saying none of you should ever feel that you are completely alone. And in this battle, this this journey of the Christian life, as part of God's family, you should know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to be there for you. They're going to come alongside, that are going to encourage, they're going to exhort you. Then we see, secondly, that we're to edify one another. We're to edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 11, says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, as even as also ye do. Now, to edify uh, has a slightly different meaning. It could, of course, the idea of encouraging could still be applied there. But literally, it means to build up or to instruct morally. To build up or to instruct morally. Uh, Vine's uh, Bible Dictionary describes it this way. Promoting the spiritual growth and the development of character. Character. In believers, by teaching or by example. So to edify, Vine says, is to promote the spiritual growth and development in or or character of believers by teaching or by example. Are you promoting the spiritual growth of fellow believers? Paul states here in this verse, he says, even as also ye do. Paul said, It's something that I've noticed. I've noticed this is something that you do that you guys are currently pretty good at this, edifying one another. And he says, keep it up. Keep doing that. Keep instructing each other morally. Keep giving each other good, sound, biblical advice. Keep exhorting one another. Keep edifying one another. You know, back in uh, 2009, when we bought this building, uh, we began a renovation process. Those of you that don't know or weren't here or haven't seen the video, which is probably very few of you at this point that at least haven't seen the video, uh, this building and everything you see here is completely transformed from what it was. Uh, In a miraculous way, God did some amazing things during those days. But we had a lot of work to do and Brother Joe Kaiser was here And Brother Joe Kaiser kept telling Dave, sure, we'll do it. Sure, we'll do it. Sure, we'll do it. (laughs) He kept volunteering us to accomplish more and more and more things. You know that on our project list, you guys don't, don't even realize this probably, but on our project list, one thing that we were talking about doing was changing the entire roof structure out here on the front and building a portico that went out over the edge of the driveway here. And we'd had to change roof lines and do lots of stuff. Brother Kaiser's like, sure, we'll do it. And I said, we are not doing that. (laughs) I said, I'm putting my foot down. I'm drawing the line. We have six weeks to do this. Just six weeks. That is not getting added to the list. There was so much that we did in those six weeks. It is mind-boggling. But we called everybody and their brother and their grandmother and their aunt and their uncle and their dog. And we got them all in here. And I mean... It's a wonder OSHA didn't come in and shut us down. <laughs> oh my goodness, we had everybody in here tearing stuff out. We were knocking walls down, and we were, you know, uh, demoing the bathrooms and tearing the front doors out of the church, and and cutting the side of the hole in the side of the building to put the doors down on that end, and and we were doing all of this work. I mean, everybody was here working so so much, and and doing so many things. But how many of you realize that? The destruction was a lot easier than the construction. <laughs> the, the stage of demoing, man, everybody was excited. Everybody was taking hammers and throwing them through walls and, and pulling things down and, and busting stuff. And oh, it was so much fun. It's a whole lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. This idea of edifying is to build up. To build up. What I'm saying is even in our Christian life, it's a whole lot easier to tear somebody down than it is to build them up. How many of you know that God's still working on you? Each one of us are a construction project in progress. He's still working on us. And I praise God he is still working on me. But see here, our brothers and sisters in Christ, you can add to, or I could say you could help, or you could hurt the building process that God is trying to do in the lives of fellow believers. If we edify, then we're helping in that progress. He which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's going to keep on working. But sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we're not helping. We're hurting. And boy, we ought to to guard against that. We ought to strive to edify. Amen? Amen? That's what we need to do. We need to edify one another. Then thirdly, I want you to see we're supposed to be, this is going to be a hard one. This is going to be a hard one. Forbearing one another. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13, you can turn there if you have your Bibles and would like to see it in the Word of God, but certainly at least make note of it. Colossians 3.13, he says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You can also put next to forbearing one another, Ephesians 4 and verse number 2. He says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, forbearing, the definition is actually given in that second verse I read. Forbearing literally is long-suffering. It is the idea of patience. It is enduring. Having long-suffering, patiently waiting. Now, we can tend to be short with those that we're closest to. It ought to be the opposite. We ought to have the most patience with those that we're closest to. It's amazing how sometimes we can be so kind uh, and cordial to somebody that we met at a grocery store, but so hateful to somebody that we say we love because we've lost the ability to forbear, to be patient with one another. How many of you think we need a little more patience? We need some patience. Amen. We do. We need patience with one another. You know, not everybody is like you. Not everybody. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Not everybody has the same uh, tendencies you have, the idiosyncrasies you have, the desires you have, the ambitions you have. Not everybody is going to be or behave like you. And I know everybody else is weird. You're the only normal person on earth. Everybody else has issues. Everybody else has problems. I don't know why everybody can't be like you, because then they wouldn't have any issues or problems, right? (laughs) But what we need to understand, beloved, is, is just as we are to forbear somebody else, the fact of the matter is, is they are forbearing us. It goes both directions. And you say, why? I'm the most lovable person on earth. Just ask my wife. Why? why? No, it's the fact is, it's because we're all different. And so everybody, just as much as somebody, that you look at somebody and say, man, I need patience from God for this person. Lord, please help me. Do you know somebody's looking at you and saying the same thing? You're saying, Lord... Help me not to kill them. Please. Just give me grace. Give me patience. We're to forbear one another, to endure. You know, the more time we spend with somebody, the more we learn about them. And sometimes, the less you like them. (laughs) I was talking to somebody this last week, and they weren't talking about the family of God. They were talking about their actual family. And they said, now, Pastor, you know, I love them, I just don't like them. And I said, I understand that. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way it is. You love them, but you just don't like them. And, but we are called to forbear one another. Our ability to forbear each other grows out of the knowledge that Christ is forbearing us. As we develop an inner patience, it's going to manifest itself in outward Forbearance. Now beloved I'm dealing this morning with the family of God. But can I edify you here? Can I exhort you? Can I say to you that if you want to have any hope. Of maintaining a lifelong relationship with your mate. That you have to learn to forbear one another. You have to learn to forbear. Forbear. If you want have any hope of, of being married 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. How many years you've been married, Bob? 30, <laughs> 30 years. If you want to make it that long, you've got to forbear one another. Now, Bob, you love Carol, right? Uh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> Carol, you love Bob, right? Yes. Amen. <laughs> well, can I, can I ask you... Have you had, in 30 years, have you had to forbear? Don't tell me what you were forbearing, but <laughs> we don't want to get that personal. But have you had to forbear some things? Just two days ago. <laughs> Just this morning. Just this morning. <laughs> that's, that's life. Can I tell you guys something? That it is a lie of Hollywood that if you met your soulmate that you wouldn't have any problems and if somehow you met that person that was going to satisfy or meet all that somehow you met the wrong one and that's why you got problems, that's not the case. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your 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 you say is my soulmate or not. There's going to be some things about that individual, the closer you get to them, the more time you spend with them that you're going to have to forbear. There are some things that Mary has to forbear. I praise God for the grace and mercy that God's given her. You know one thing? I can tell you. One thing that she forbears with me, I have a problem. And that is that I'm pretty singularly focused. Um, The burden and the weight of the ministry kind of occupies my mind. And a lot of times with regards to things, see, she can think down, down the calendar two years from now. She's planning and thinking and has all this stuff going on. And she's learned after all these years that if she tells me about something that's happening three weeks from now, it's not that I don't care. It's not, it's just that my mind cannot retain that. I only have so much that I can retain. And so I'll have to tell her, could we talk about that in a couple weeks when that's actually something that's, you know, we're going to be doing. Like right now, that's so far away, God could come back before then. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I, I don't see that. And you know what? She's put up with that all these years. She could say, well, if you cared about me, you would remember what's important to me. If, you, if she could get all off on this, woe is me, and, and you don't love me enough to even make me a priority. She knows that's not true. She knows in a heartbeat I would drop anything for her. This is just something about my personality and the brain that God's given me that, that limits my capacity, and she says, you know what, I'll put up with that because he's an amazing guy. <laughs> now I'm glad that I don't have anything that I had to forbear for her, okay? <laughs> yes, Hallelujah. Now, this is in the family. What I want you to know, I'm just trying to help you, that it's a lie of the devil that you wouldn't be having any problems if you were with somebody else. They're probably going to be the same problems. What you need to learn is how to forbear. And you know what? The more time you spend together, the more those things come up. So in the family of God, as we spend more time together, you're going to learn some things about your pastor. And you say, boy... It's not something I really like. You're going to learn some things about your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you know what, I could do without that. But we're supposed to forbear one another. We're supposed to forbear one another. And beloved, when forbearance reaches its end, have you ever reached your limit? Have you ever just said, okay, that's all I can take? Then, beloved, we're supposed to forgive one another. We're supposed to forgive one another. We see in that same verse, Colossians 3, verse number 13, he says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have quarreled against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You could write down Ephesians 4.32 next to that and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, he sets Jesus up as the example of forgiveness. Why did he have to put the bar so high? I mean, why couldn't he say, uh, you know, boy, I'm going to forgive like Doug. I'm going to forgive how Doug forgives. No, the example, the standard, the bar, is Jesus Christ. And he says, just like Christ has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. Can I show you something, beloved? We have here. This does it say sin all of us are born sinners that's just the fact of life Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God every one of us are sinners but when we come to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us of our sins he washes that sin away he cleanses our heart of that sin The Bible says that he takes the sin and he does several things with it. He casts it into the deepest sea. He spreads it as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible says he casts it behind his back to remember no more. But do you know what happens to you and I sometimes? You see, we have the marks of sin in our life. And sometimes what Satan likes to do is he likes to come to you and say, look at that sin. He likes to bring back that guilt and put it on top of you. When that sin is already gone. That sin is already covered. That sin has already been forgiven. God is forgiven and it's cast as far as the east is from the west. He's put it in the deepest seas, put it behind his back to remember no more. But sometimes because sin and its nature, it leaves marks in our life. Sometimes it leaves weight in our, in our life. And Satan wants to bring that back up and, and point to those things and say, okay, you're still bearing that sin. But you're not because you've been forgiven. I want you to know if you have some false guilt today from things that are in the past that God has forgiven you of already, you need to let those things go. Don't let Satan bring that back up. And you might have some scars in your life. You might have some things in your life that remind you of that and say, boy, I'm, I'm still bearing that, but you can know that you've been forgiven. Amen. You've been forgiven. That's been washed away. And we have that because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. And Jesus chose to forgive you. He shed his blood for you so that you could know and experience the forgiveness of God. You and I are supposed to be like him and forgive one another. Forgiveness, beloved, accepts the pain of the offense. And it relinquishes the right of retaliation. The Greek word here in this passage actually uh, has with it the idea of a debt. Like you are literally owed something. And sometimes when we've been wronged, there really is an offense there. It's not just that we're sensitive. It's not just that somebody did something that we don't like. It's there was literally an offense there. There's literally a debt that needs to be paid. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. That's what Jesus did for us. And we're to forgive like him. It means even though you have something, you could look and say, well, you did this and it was wrong. He says, you're to forgive one another. Maybe you are owed something. Maybe you have a right for retaliation or a right to be bitter at them. But Christ's example takes that right away and says, Forgive. Forgive. Forgiveness, beloved, releases your heart from the carrying the weight of that bitterness. It places our confidence in God to deal with the offense and the offender. You say, God's going to deal with it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive. We're going to let it go. God will take care of it. The focus here in this passage is on the offended just letting go and trusting God and forgiving. But let me say this, you know, asking for forgiveness goes a long way. If you have offended somebody or if you've done something that somebody has cause or reason to be upset at you, could I encourage you to go to them and ask for forgiveness? To let them know that you acknowledge and realize what you've done. Give them the opportunity to forgive you. Then I want you to see that we're to fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. In 1 John 1, verse number 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin." There's a couple of things that are taught here in this passage, beloved. We are we are to have fellowship with one another and the common bond that we have is in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you go in the world when you meet God's people, you feel at home. Brother Armando's father has stated several times how he feels at home in this church. He doesn't even speak English. But he said, I I feel like I'm at my own church. I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm with God's family. The Bible says that your spirit beareth witness. That there's something there that tells us that here's a brother or sister in Christ. There is a common bond that's there. We are different people and different likes and personalities and nationalities and, and different cultures we may even come from and even different languages. But we have a common bond and that's Jesus Christ. God made us to be a people of fellowship. He made us social beings. In Genesis chapter 2, we saw that God saw Adam and said, hey, it's not good for him to be alone. And so he gave him a wife. Amen. We are social people. Everywhere you look, you'll see groups of people that gather for some type or some reason for some fellowship. They gather in bars and they gather in clubs. They gather in the Lions Club and the Boys Club and the Girls Club and, the, and, and every kind of uh, club and group you can imagine. You know what? If you go to any McDonald's, anywhere in the state, United States, in the morning, between about 7 to 9, you're going to find a group of men who got out of bed and went down to McDonald's and they're just sitting there drinking coffee and maybe eating an egg McMuffin and just fellowshiping, just talking. You pretty much pick any McDonald's you want. You go in the morning, you're going to find a group of guys sitting in there, just talking. We're made to be social beings, to be fellowshipping with one another. And there's nobody that we should have more cause to fellowship than with than God's family, our brother and sisters in Christ. If we're going to be making time for somebody, it ought to be for God's family. You know, in today's world, we're more connected but more disconnected than we've ever been. We have more means or ways of communication than we've ever had, and yet for some reason, we're, people feel like they're more alone than they've ever felt. It's because we're not building those relationships. We're not building those friendships. We're not spending that time fellowshipping. You know, this last week, Pastor Derek was telling me that uh, they now have an automated service. How many of you know who Constant Contact is? Constant Contact, it's an automated email service that uh, businesses use to bug you. You know, it's called Constant Contact. It, it's, it's designed, you can set up automated emails so that it'll email you every three or four weeks and say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about buying this? Have you thought about that? Well, Constant Contact has now started a service where they will monitor your cell phone, your text messages, And if you have not texted your mom in a couple weeks, it'll auto-generate a text to your mother. Auto-relationships. Hallelujah. (laughs) I mean, you don't even have to try anymore. Mom, don't you appreciate all my texts? You don't even know what you said. Because they're automated. You've got, you just put whoever you want on that list, mom, grandma, grandpa, you know, brothers, sisters, you can put their birthdays in and it'll automatically send them a text on their birthday. Hey, happy birthday, mom, like it's from you. That's where we're at because we're not building relationships. We're not spending the time fellowshipping and we're supposed to be as God's people fellowshipping with one another. Our friendship and fellowship is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the common bond that we have with each other. Fellowship is important, and we should make it a priority. That's why, as a pastor, I decided I'm going to have these Supper with the Shepherd. Just an opportunity for some fellowship. To sit down and get to know each other a little bit. To learn a little bit about each other. To learn those things that we need to forbear. Forbear. Amen. (laughs) To find out what those are and and be able to implement those things and and for love and forgive one another. That's what fellowship is. Then we want to see that we're we're, we're number six here moving right along. Prefer one another. In Romans 12 verse number 10, he says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another preferring means to show deference think about it this way how often would you prefer somebody else get the honor this is what he says here he says in honor preferring one another we have a tendency today to work real hard to get the honor And sometimes we don't like it when that honor is given to somebody else. But that's not the spirit and the mind of Christ. We are to be preferring one another in honor, preferring one another. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Human nature is to strive to gain honor for ourselves, but the Christian nature, the spiritual side of you, would work hard to be sure somebody else gets the honor. How do you prefer one another? Let me give you a couple of things. By thinking less of ourselves. The Bible tells us you got to be careful lest you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. The tendency for us is to think highly of ourselves because after all, we're the only normal person in the world, right? Everybody else is a little bit weird. Everybody else has a little bit of problem. That's the way it is. So we think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to. So if you're going to prefer somebody else, it starts by maybe getting a, a actual representation of who you are. Not thinking too highly of yourself. Secondly, is by recognizing the qualities of others. Do you recognize their qualities? Do you see their potential? Do you see what God wants to do with them? Or do you find yourself just being critical of them? Proverbs 12, verse number 26 says, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Do you see the excellence in other people? Or do you just see the flaws? And then, lastly, by esteeming others better than ourselves. Philippians 2, verse number 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in a lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Now these last two I have taught on many times. And so I don't need to take much time here to deal with it. Although they are very important and there's a lot of teaching that could be done with these last two, I don't need to take much time on them because we've taught on them before. And you can go to our sermon audio website and listen to messages on these topics. But I want you to see that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to have peace one with another. Mark chapter nine, and verse number 50 says, salt is good but if the salt hath lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. We know that this is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. We're to have peace with one another. That's to be a characteristic, a regular part of the Christian's life. And beloved, if we're going to have peace with others, we've got to begin by having peace with God. I would encourage you and implore you this morning if you do not know for sure that you're at peace with God. And I'm not just talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not just saying, well, I went to church today, so I'm at peace with God today. No, I'm saying that your sins have been forgiven by accepting the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. I would implore you today to be sure that you have peace with God by trusting in his son. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll give you that peace, the peace of God that comes into your heart when you have peace with God. But if you're going to have peace with God, then you can can begin to have peace with men. This is vitally important. There's many passages of Scripture we could turn to. Hebrews 12, verse number 14 says, Follow peace with all men. I have a message that's probably on Sermon Audio entitled, Pursue Peace. I would encourage you to listen to it. That's to be our go-to pattern as a Christian is to pursue the peace. Some of us like to pursue war. Some of us would rather be right than have peace. Hmm? How many have been there? More important to be right than to have peace. But as Christians, we're supposed to pursue peace. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So I would encourage you, be at peace with one another. Romans 12, verse number 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. And you're like, well, it just doesn't lie within me. Well, do you have Jesus Christ? He is the Prince of Peace. So I think it does lie within you to have peace. And then lastly this morning, I want you to see we pray for one another. In James chapter 5, verse number 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. There's many passages of scripture we could go to and talk about this idea of praying one for another. The idea of intercessory prayer. I believe that we have a praying church and I believe that our church family prays for one another and we spend a lot of time talking about prayer as a church and have dealt with this in many many different services so we don't need to dig down into it today but can I ask you are you praying for one another? There's a prayer list out there on the Welcome Center on Thursday nights we gather as a church and there's a list that's made up the needs and the burdens and the hearts of God's people and We pray for one another. And we get to rejoice with one another when God answers those prayers. This morning I prayed for just about every one of you by name. Rachel and Jim, I didn't know you were gonna be here. I didn't pray for you this morning by name. There's a couple of others as I look around that I that I missed. Probably 98 percent of you, I prayed for you by name today. Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I was says, "Pray for one another. These are the things that we're supposed to do for one another. Are we doing it?